Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to episode 63 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today we're going to uh, do answer some frequently asked questions. So these are questions that are coming into our Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group, and we want to have some discussion on that and go ahead and answer those. So with that, we'll get started with a question from Brittany. What documentation could I look for to differentiate 51728 and 51729? There is no clear mention of urethral pressure profile study in the UDS documentation. Yeah. Mark, you want to sure. share your thoughts on that? All right, sure. Well, we're, so we're assuming from Brittany's question that the 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 PVS or the vesicle pressure is probably on the list of all of the detail in the Eurodynamics report. So she knows where the 51728 is. Um, and I think that one's an easier one to to look at the the description for. So um, and then of course you know your your P abd, which is your abdominal voiding pressure, is there um, if you're using a rectal catheter to do the um, the study as well. Uh, so the I you know her question I think rightly focuses on the UPP or the urethral pressure profile study because the 51729 is a CMG with both avoiding pressure and a UPP. Now, when you look look at a U, that the code, the last piece of that description is any technique. Um, so there's there's several different um, uh, aspects of a urethral pressure profile study, and you can review some of these in in various uh, literature sources um, from the NIH, from AUA, from AUGS. Um, so. Um, it, it might help you to spend a little bit of time to understand that as well. But um, for purposes of answering this question, um, you know, a, a urethral pressure profile study is really trying to find out um, what is happening with the urethra relative to the ability to retain and then expel urine. Um, so with, uh, with, People that are suspected of incontinence and um, or uh, for one reason or another, uh, they're going to try and take a look at what's happening with the urethra and the musculature um, in the urethra to help with that diagnosis. So what you're looking for at a bare minimum um, are uh, a couple of different leak point pressures, the abdominal leak point pressure. Um, uh, or the Valsalva leak point pressure. So those are both components of a UPP, and with the any technique, um, could be uh, in the w when included in the documentation indicators that a UPP w has been done. So abdominal leak point pressure or a Valsalva leak point pressure, you know, those are things that um, ultimately, while a patient is voiding. Um, you or trying to stop avoid 
you have them cough or or do some abdominal um, pressure maneuver move around and see if there is some leakage around the catheter um, that is in place. So um, that would be two things you could look for. Um, a couple of other things that um, are are mentioned in a lot of studies is length of the uh, urethra. So how many centimeters long is the urethra could be included in the documentation to help support this. Um, and then uh, the other one is a lot of catheters will actually measure the urethral pressure profile. So that's the peristaltic action of the urethra um, during the void. So the catheters can actually provide some printouts um, or some information as to what the urethral pressure is during the voiding trial. Um, so those are kind of all aspects of it. Um, at a bare minimum, you need at least um, some uh, documentation showing that the leak point pressure was uh, examined. Um, but if you're looking at the full piece, um, you do want to put the length of the urethra and and ultimately have in the documentation the catheter study that talks about the urethral pressure profile throughout the voiding process. So that's that's kind of the gamut of all of those things. Now, one of the things that that I have seen as we've gone through and looked at a number of different charts and talked to physicians around the country is that, you know, this this study, this type of study is predominant um, in in women. Um, women who have urge, uh, stress, mixed incontinence, or overactive bladder may be uh, looked at in this regard, but, um, you know, it's really more or less an, an incontinence issue um, that they're looking for or trying to study. So some of that depends on, on where they are in the diagnostic process. But, um, but that's, so that's one. So if you're, if you're seeing that the, this 51729 is being billed on every male um, and every female, um, you, you, you probably want to take a look at uh, whether or not that's being done appropriately and whether or not it's medically necessary. So this is a targeted population for one thing. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be done on men. And there are some cases where uh, men who have had previous operations, like a prostatectomy, um, that they are looking for the urethral pressure profile as part of their study of maybe having incontinence um, after their surgery. So it's not that it cannot be done on men. Um, so don't take that away from this. Um, but, uh, it, it is going to be done on a very select population of men. And in the end, uh, a, a subset of women, um, who are having urodynamic studies. So, um, as you, as you look at all of this, look at medical necessity, patient, uh, selection, and then, look for those some of those key words of valsalva or abdominal leak point pressure ure, uh, urethral length and then uh, if you if you have it as well um, urethral pressure um, as measured by the catheter are you seeing denials in this uh, mark as you know right now I'm not seeing a ton of denials um, in the end um, there's 
not a lot of difference between a 51728 and a 51729 in payment. Um, so uh, I don't see it as a high target issue. Um, as a denial problem, um, based on individuals, you know, like a 51729 denied for men, um, you know, a 51728 might slide through. So I'm seeing some denials, but I'm we're not seeing a ton of activity as far as racks and, and reviews in that regard. It's more frontline stuff that's out there. And in the end, it's accuracy of coding. You know, as, as with anything, you know, if they can ascertain that maybe you're not so good at understanding this one, the broader reach of going after you for other things are, are, are is definitely a risk. So, you know, it's it, it always pays to code correctly, even if it's not a high target area, just because of the the pay differential, but accuracy is key. So hopefully this gives you a little better window into that, Ray. Well, Mark, that was a very complete discussion, not only on the coding, but also on the the aerodynamics of the two codes. But the the thing that came to mind as you were talking, it all boils down to the basics of documentation and coding. For documentation, you want to have proof of service. You need to have documentation to prove that you did perform the urethral profile and the reason you did it or medical necessity. So the bottom line is if you have medical necessity and you've proved you performed the test, you should code it, right? Yeah, very good. And hopefully we gave you that answer. Maybe I gave you a little too much detail. And what you're saying <laughs> is we need medical necessity and you need a leak point pressure. Um, ideally, you would also include length of the, the urethra and a urethral pressure report um, from that catheter if you used it. So those are all the documentation elements. Hopefully it's there. And maybe we've We've overdone this, but hopefully that helped. <laughs> Next question. What are the criteria for billing 45990? The CPT book lists requiring anesthesia. Can I bill the 45990 since the uh, digital rectal exam was done under anesthesia after a cysto? Ureteroscopy. Uh, so I guess first we need to know what the, five, the 45990 is. So... So it is um, the it is anal rectal examination under anesthesia. Uh, no, anal rectal exam exam surgical requiring anesthesia, general spinal or epidural diagnostic. So you've got several different hurdles to overcome here. Um, one is that patient actually does need to be under anesthesia, general, spinal, or epidural. So if the patient is not under a general or regional anesthesia, not just, you know, sedation or those types of things you're talking about under anesthesia, um, then, or a regional block, then you're not even going to think about this code. So that's a, that's a key part of this. Um, the second thing is, although it does say anal rectal exam surgical um, and diagnostic, um, 
you know, the the typical digital rectal examination, um, you know, is really a digital rectal exam. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, can you put that, if the patient's under anesthesia, could you argue that, a, a, you know, you did a surgical anal rectal exam? Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a hard bar to overcome. I mean, realistically, um, you're, you're, you're using a, a, a finger, um, to do the digital rectal exam. So, um, I, I, I don't think it fits that exam or that, uh, description criteria, um, for a typical digital rectal exam. And then the third thing, as we loop back in all that we do, you know, is medical necessity. Um, you know, ultimately, if you really consider uh, that you're in there and, wow, the patient's asleep, we'll just go ahead and do that. That's not real real medical necessity. That is, uh, you know, more or less a convenience to the patient and a convenience to the physician, which doesn't usually, it doesn't uh, actually fit the bar for medical necessity. So, I think we've got a few different things that are really blocking the use of the 45990 uh, for a digital rectal exam. Um, so I guess the short answer across the board would be, uh, no, I don't see a good pathway for that, uh, for use of that code um, with a Cisto. So good thought, but I don't think so. Ray, any uh No, I think Mark comments? hit the nail on the head. All right. And uh just uh one one quick question is what when when they're looking at the accurate accuracy of coding, um obviously you've explained that, but what's the uh what would be the advantage for doing that? Is it there that big of a financial advantage? Is that why you'd be looking at that or what's uh just trying to be accurate or why do you think that came up? Oh, I I I think it came up because um somebody was was who somebody had a patient that was under anesthesia and they did a digital rectal exam and maybe they looked at the short description. That's, you know, anal rectal exam under anesthesia. Um, okay. And, you know, that well, you're trying to code for everything that you do. Um, that's a rock that should be looked at. Um, but again, I think if you do a little deeper dive into the description and really think about the medical necessity issue, um, regardless of where the money falls, it just it doesn't look like it's the right thing to do. So I would okay. steer clear. All right. Okay, let's uh, move on to the final one that we have today uh, from Francis. If a patient, yeah, if patient came in for a follow up visit and the provider did a post void residual, should you bill an E and M code with modifier twenty five? And in this case, uh, Francis is asking about Medicare Prime, but uh, maybe you can touch on if there's a difference. Sure. Well. So, so couple of things to look at um, with this code. And um, so number one, the uh, global period of a 51798 
is XXX. Um, so from Medicare's perspective, and by the way, the 51798 has no or has a zero assigned to the work RVU columns. So in actuality, the 51798 is a technical uh, component only code. And there's only a few of those in the CPT manual, according to Medicare. So from Medicare's perspective, labeling it as an, as an XXX is correct. I mean, it's more or less a radiologic service and it's really about paying you for the use of the equipment and your technician. So an E&M code being billed in addition to a 51798, um, if the E&M code is supported with documentation, um, is appropriate and, and from a Medicare perspective does not require a modifier 25. Um, now, Medicare Prime is most likely a Medicare Advantage plan and the private sector payers um, have not always followed the rules related to the, the globals and modifier 25. So with Medicare Prime, you might be required to bill a, a, a 25 modifier or append a modifier 25 in addition to the office visit. So that's going to be payer specific, but pure Medicare rules, no modifier 25 required. Now, the, the second thing I'll add in all this stuff is that the UA and the PVR and the Euroflow um, are all services provided by urologists in a diagnostic capacity to study urine and, and, um, and to study the general urologic health of patients. Um, so they're billed very frequently. Um, and a lot of practices over the years have taken the position that you know, I need I need this information for everybody that comes to the door, or I need this information for virtually everybody that comes through the door. Um, so the payers have gotten very aggressive in denying all three of those codes or bundling those codes into the E and M service. Um, so again, medical necessity is key. You want to make sure that you're doing each one of those tests for a diagnostic purpose not a screening purpose because most payers have different rules on the screening side than anything else. So they need to have a reason to have the 51798 done uh, as part of that visit. Um, so make sure that's documented as well. Um, and then in your E&M code, um, you know, reference that you use the post void residual to make decisions about how to treat the patient. So demonstrate need, demonstrate use, and your documentation. But so, to, so that was a, another long-winded answer to the question, but the bottom line is from a Medicare perspective, no modifier 25 is required, but from a private sector uh, perspective, y it depends. And then the, the, the oh. other part of that description or that discussion is, you know, the 51798 is becoming a problematic code, just like the UA um, and the, the Euroflow as payers start to try and bundle it with every office visit regardless. So you may have to do some fighting for those things and make sure your documentation can support those fights. So for, for private payers or Medicare Advantage programs, if you're not sure, would you put it on the, the 25 or would you leave it off? 
I typically take the approach of leaving it off until I get a denial and then I then I pivot. Um, you know, that's you know, correct coding is the right way to go in the beginning and you and most of you you know should base your rules on Medicare and then uh, pivot when you find out that it doesn't work with that payer. So start with a baseline and then systematically move as needed. So Mark, the two codes should be billed together if there's medical necessity and documentation to support that the uh, ENM was performed and the 51798 was performed and utilized in medical decision making, correct? That is correct. And that's the medical necessity support because there's no work RVU for the 51798. But if I just have it as my routine for every patient that walks through the door and I just mentioned that the the post-void residual was 50 or X and, and didn't say anything else about uh, utilization of it in medical decision making, what should I do? So I think that, I mean, first I'd educate my providers because I think you're going to have a hard time running an appeal on a denial with that. Like, why what, Why did you do the PBR? And that's opening up Pandora's box with the volume of PBRs that you've done. So, um, you know, ultimately, whether or not it was billed, because I would say most practices, you know, rely on your clinical staff to provide the coding and the documentation support for office-based stuff. I don't see all offices or many offices doing a full deep dive review on everything going out the door. So, uh, I mean, if I'm seeing that, I'm, I'm going to go back and educate my providers to say, you know, you need to do better documentation or we're going to have some serious problems here. Um, and then I would train everybody that if the PVR is done on everybody and it really wasn't uh, indicated for that visit, um, you, you had it done recently or maybe they were in today um, for follow-up for, uh, I don't know, let's just say a, a, a Lupron injection, you know, that, that they don't have any really uh, prostate complaints at that point in time, then, uh, yeah, I wouldn't bill it even if you did it. All right. All right. Well, I think we've covered, uh, answered the questions. Um, Let's uh, let's go around and do some final thoughts as uh, my final thoughts are if you listen to all three of these answers, you know, as with uh, many of our discussions, it does come down to accurate documentation for the services provided along with the medical necessity for pro providing those services. And that just is a common theme throughout and was a common theme throughout the day uh, or throughout the, the, the discussion today. Uh, Ray, final thoughts? Well, I, I think you've hit the two nail on the head for two of the three things. One is medical necessity. The other is proof of documentation, proof of service with documentation. And the third is accuracy in coding. All right. Mark, finals? 
Thoughts? Well, I'm not. I'm not going to pile on to the broken record theme. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, I said it enough during time. So yeah, hopefully this was helpful to everybody in going through those things. And but and we appreciate the questions that come in. Um, that you know they're they're common questions um, that we saw today that we get you know oh, you know from many practices. So it's always good to ask them and. You know, as we said when we were talking about the anesthesia or digital rectal under anesthesia, um, sometimes it, it's always worth going back and taking a look at the things that you know or you think you know to get some clarification. And that's always good for us to revisit it as well, just to uh, refresh the autopilot when you see things going through on a day to day. So, so I would say, you know, take a look at things every once in a while. That 80 20 rule. That I that is I think important in all practices is you know 80 and in neurology it's maybe 85 15 or 90 10 you know a lot of what you do is done over and over and over again it's the same stuff different people um, and if you're not doing if you're missing some of that that's actually bigger loss revenue than chasing the 10 that's out there and because those things tend to pay. It's actually you're you're actually hurting yourself by not coding correctly and doing things correctly, or opening yourself up for uh, a multiplication take back. You know, maybe it's only three bucks for that one UA, but you know, by the by the time you calculate it, by if it's 15% of all the UAs that you do, that's a big number when you look at some you know a, a multiplied problem. So um, it is worth taking a look at the at the routine stuff that you do over and over again. So don't, don't sit on your laurels. Well said. One, one other point. <laughs> okay. And that is probably that 85 to 90% of the answer to all the questions that we come up with are answered with coding today. The information is there, and it's easy to look up, and that's what uh, we use in starting in answering all these questions. So if you haven't mastered its use and understand all of its value, you should take another look. Yes, and uh, if you uh, want to join the discussion um, on the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group or uh, get a free trial of AUA coding today. You can go to, you can find links to both of those on our episode page, and that's prsnetwork.com forward slash 063 for episode 63. All right. Thank you for joining us all today. And uh, with that, we'll end there. Take us out, Ray. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery. <laughs>